opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. Well, we know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 hard Hello everyone, welcome to, to Real Politic. We've finally got around to, to doing some more recording and um, we've got a, a special episode for you today. Um, we are one year into Keir Starmer's highly successful uh, regime as head of the Labour Party and to, to analyse in, in more detail how he's done. Uh, I'm joined by, as as usual, uh, Jack. Hello. And uh, also by long-term friend of the show, Juliet Jakes. Hey, how you doing? Well, I, I'm ready to rock. Clearly I'm not, that's why I ask her, I ain't to. What is it about the subject of Keir Starmer that drains you of any joy or enthusiasm? <laughs> Once we get the ball rolling, then the, then the energy is going to start flowing. But right now when i think of keir starmer i just see this void (laughs) stretching out a limitless (laughs) gaping void stretching out in front of me into the blackness of night he's stolen the future there's no hope it's over it's almost like he was grown in a laboratory to suck the life out of a political move yeah which I guess he kind of was. I mean, that's what the Labour right is, right? <laughs> yeah, well, to quote uh, Stephen Bush in 2014, a year before uh, Keir Starmer entered parla- was parachuted into Parliament, I, for one, welcome our new Keir Starmer overlords. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our new Keir Starmer overlords and hope that they will be delivering authentic values alignment sometime in the next quarter. That is both a good Stephen Bush impression and a good Keir Starmer impression. It kind of <laughs> it perfect, it was perfectly in the middle, kind of showing the singularity of these two men. <laughs> he really is just like the most contemptible figure. I mean, <laughs> if you go back about a year to when we last spoke with you, Juliet, about this subject... We were all pretty down on him back then, I'd say. I mean, I remember around that point we did our episodes with Macats, where I said, I, you know, I can't quite hate him. Mm-hmm. He's so nothing, you know. He's such a bland figure. I don't know if he's the real, like, power behind the throne. I don't know if he's actually the driving force of whatever Starmerism might be. Uh, and also, you know, I resented just the kind of, like, way that Jeremy Corbyn had been singled out as the scapegoat of all the Labour Party's failings. And I thought, let's not personalise this too much. I mean, a year on, I just say, you know, let's personalise it. Fuck that. This man has just 
clearly, for a start, got no problem with the vilification and demonization of his predecessor and of anyone who supported him and has, has crushed party democracy with an iron fist. And then with a much hammier a word that you'll be hearing a lot in regards to Keir Starmer, fist. He has also just turned the Labour Party into a joke on the national stage and people say oh, it's a joke before now well i you know before the, before when it had jeremy corbyn leading it the labor party fucking stood for something now <laughs> it is just the most subservient weak-willed pathetic like second-rate party of the British establishment. It is like the bargain basement Tories. It is just <laughs> a... What is the point of the Labour Party? And it's it's all those things in a world where... The, in a country where the Lib Dems exist as well. It still takes those <laughs> crowns now. That, that's incredible. <laughs> that shouldn't be possible. And Lib Dem voters aren't even really supporting it. I think they were for about three months until, you know, Starmer sort of turned around and said, well, actually, we've done some checking yeah. of the constituencies and the election and referendum results. And it turns out that it is structurally impossible for Labour to be a committed Remain party. And it's just like, yeah, this is what we've been fucking telling you for the last <laughs> five years. <laughs> <laughs> literally had never occurred to anybody at any point like i always said you know i'm afraid we've just got to like alienate the entire north uh in return for the the seat of putney that are already voting for us some of which dickheads are gonna vote for the lib dems in any way (laughs) there's there's issues that he's really gone full establishment with in terms of like spy cops and things like that which have been hugely controversial and on issues like that and civil liberties we're consistently seeing the Lib Dems now outflank them from the left, not far from the left, they're not particularly good on these things and they they elected the the more rightward of their leadership contenders but they're still consistently at least slightly better than, than Starmer on all these things I think back to the conversation that we had, which would have been a fair while before the end of the leadership contest, because I remember I was still in still in London, so it was it was before lockdown, and I certainly said I want to stay in the Labour Party, you know, because Corbyn had stayed in, because Diane Abbott had stayed in. Uh, I ended up I cancelled my direct debit when David Evans was announced as the general secretary. <laughs> Yeah, and man. which was pretty early on and then the point at which i just sent an angry email saying like no fuck you um was the rebecca long bailey sacking which was just an absolute disgrace i mean it really was yeah um total vilification I mean, absolute I mean, contempt you know, it just shows like starmer like what a cold-blooded political psychopath he is he, he just like he literally like will it's not just corbyn's reputation who he's okay with the trashing of like he'll do it just to you know uh, just like a, a much less like well-known perfectly like <laughs> nice and not even like particularly threatening to him politician like rebecca long bailey you know it, it you know, you've you've described it as psychopathic there. 
And what I find interesting about Starmer is that he's pretty much the only person in the world who could make the word psychopathic sit next to the word cowardly without you feeling that was like remotely inappropriate. I mean, I'm probably using that in- that word incorrectly, you know. Maybe I'm thinking of, you know, the psychopath test, like the, the book John Ronson wrote about how, you know, loads of people in business and politics basically have these psychopathic instincts. You have to in order to be like, Jeremy Corbyn is my friend and colleague. You know, sorry, Jeremy, first name terms, is my friend and colleague. And then like a couple of months later be like, I'm very disappointed by what Jeremy Corbyn said. I thought it was disgraceful. He's kicked out of a party i'm not letting him back in jack you 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 must have a keir starmer impression everyone's got one they're incredibly fun to do you just kind of talk out of the side of your mouth like jeremy is my friend and colleague i am incredibly proud to stand alongside him in the (laughs) labour party (laughs) yeah i think i was i was too uh mad there at the treatment (laughs) of the beautiful jeremy corbyn to uh to to summon up my impression of rodney the sad donkey (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, no, I, I actually did have a flag behind me. Uh, you, I think you'll find. Uh... It's, it's, it's only one degree away from Gapes there, I think. But yeah. <laughs> no, Gapes is, Gapes is right at the back of the throat. It's completely different in terms of the part of the mouth in which I am projecting from. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. But yeah, so I mean, so I I was out with the the treatment of Long Bailey, which I thought was completely unacceptable. And then the sort of the the treatment of Corbyn, obviously, over the um, the EHRC report uh, was just the point where I was like, right, well, I'm actually going to tell other people not to support this party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On just just like just like on the Rebecca Long Bailey point, I mean, like he he will like let people just stay on in their jobs for way less if they're on the right of the party like charlotte nichols mm. yeah i mean what a what a disappointment that that's turned out to be but i mean how i think it's interesting to think about you know how surprised are we by this because you know i think back to that that podcast we did just over a year ago and all three of us were deeply suspicious of starmer and you know we're saying we don't like that type of politician there's there's a famous line in Labour Party history, and it's um, it goes back to Hugh Gates' school trying to abolish Clause Four uh, in the I think late fifties, maybe early sixties, and he gives a speech where he talks about his intention of doing this, and he comes off, and I think it's his wife says to him, "All the wrong people are clapping," um, and that was how I felt about Starmer, and I was sort of trying to tell people not to vote for Starmer, but. Um, you know, he and his team did do a pretty good job of making people kind of look and feel like cranks for saying, we cannot trust this man. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, I'm I'm not massively surprised by any of it in a way. I do, I do think I've made this point quite a lot and I stick by it. I do think the process of sort of marginalising, alienating and actively cutting out the left would have been a lot slower without the pandemic. You know, if there'd been a physical Labour mm. Party conference and if people had been able to, like, turn up outside Labour Party HQ and physically demonstrate yeah, against yeah, the way definitely. they were treating people, I don't think I don't think Corbyn would have been, um, you know, had the whip withdrawn, for example. That in itself. Yeah. What a ridiculous thing. I do think the brazen cynicism of the way they've used the pandemic um 
is going to have damaged them in a way that I don't think they're going to recover because, I mean, do either of you... I mean, so firstly, I'm asking if either of you are surprised by much of Yeah, I mean, surprised by the pace of it initially, I think. Mm. Not that there was going to be huge pressure on him to, to basically wage war on the left and that he was going to cave in on much of it. But again, just the, the speed and ruthlessness with which he did it, once he got a feel for that, it's not surprising anymore if he takes further steps along those lines. We, we all expect him to now. I agree on the, the pace of it all. He's pretty much doing a sort of exaggerated version of what I thought would happen. I thought that for, for a long time, like, I could see a point where, under a right-wing leadership, this kind of hysteria is just whipped up to the point where Corbyn can no longer be a Labour MP in that party. And so I wasn't as surprised as some when I saw Jeremy Corbyn suspended from the Labour Party. I thought it, it, it's surreal on one level because to so many of us, Jeremy Corbyn has exemplified the Labour Party at its best. On the other hand, there does exist kind of this alternative reality in Britain where politics happens, where, where, where like the prof- profession of politics happens. I was thinking about how Lisa Nandy did this speech the other day, and it was just the most boilerplate, like, no, it was an article, like an excerpt from her new book, I think, (laughs) The Labelist. And because, you know, like, welcome to uh, Keir Starmer's uh, Shadow Cabinet. Here's your book deal and a court order to say nothing else of consequence ever. Um, but yeah, she and Ed Miliband have both got new books coming out with their, like, Ed Miliband's is like, policies to change the world. You got a problem, I got a policy for it, you know? Um, whereas hers is like, this is the, the, uh, Great Britain that I want to see, uh, you know? And, um, it was just like the most boilerplate like centrist shit and and it's like the kind of stuff that like in the thick of it they say and um you know as like generic uh mindless political robot speak uh and they're making fun of it in that and like everybody who works in westminster politics has seen the thick of it and they still haven't like clocked that this stuff is it is lame like we're going to do an authentic values realignment well it's, it's like they did a focus group and they somehow managed to find a focus group that tells them that the people that they most like and respect are middle managers at insurance firms <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah exactly so what the, like the roundabout point i was getting to uh, about the corbyn suspension is that like among people who like <laughs> who think that uh Britain should rediscover a confident, outward-looking approach to the world, and Labour would put the British people and our shared values back at the heart of foreign policy. <laughs> like that, this is like compelling rhetoric and not just meaningless crap that, in practice, corporate just bullshit. inevitably means yeah, corporate bullshit, middle management speak, as you said, like. These people, among like the people who were convinced by that, like this narrow sect of society, like 
well, we've got to kick Corbyn out of the Labour Party, has been, like, a legitimate going concern for ages, you know, the same as, like, way before they managed to, like, hoodwink a large section of the public into going along with the absurd idea. These people were talking about, like, okay, so now we need a second referendum on the e- on the Brexit, like, the day after the 2017 <laughs> election. It's like, they, they exist in, like, this completely, like... Um, hermetically sealed world and it's by choice because they're actively waging a war against progress these you know like the the labor establishment especially are like conservative to their bones like anytime they feel threatened by some change in society they like absolutely like work harder than they ever have to make sure that, that things are maintained basically I do do feel we're living in some sort of like Westminster hyper normalization where there's this kind of fake fake world that the the sort of centrist media have built up where their politics is happening and it, it you know just bears so little relationship to reality. Um, you know, your your boy Flying Rodent on Twitter is uh, is very good on this. You know, he's always kind of good account. Always banging this drum about every kind of last hope of centrist politics just implodes on contact with reality often in a way that's very funny and you know whether it's joe swinson being you know substantively derailed by shit posters claiming that she shoots squirrels or whether it's owen smith sort of doing or saying anything or <laughs> tim farron and you know the the gay frog menace you've got to applaud the lib dems on the civil liberties of our <laughs> frog brothers and sisters <laughs> because they've always uh, kept a strong commitment or whether that. it's you know rory stewart and just kind of like going around being like can i sleep on your sofa i won't say anything racist <laughs> or you know or change uk just just generally yeah, of course um you know is and you know because of the way uh, everything ended I spent a lot of time during the great centrist meltdown of 2015 to 19 just shrieking with laughter. And nearly all of it is is sadly no longer funny to me, really, except Change UK, which is still hilarious. <laughs> so why turn the Labour Party into just a bigger version of Change UK? That passage you just read about, you know, outward facing forward policy values alignment. It's just straight out of the Change UK manifesto. Yeah, it's very Joan Ryan, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it really is. that sort of vibe. <laughs> this is what they really believe, to, like, be that hermetically sealed from politically political reality. Like, y- you have to be really ideologically invested in a, a particular vision, if not of the world, of, of, of politics. And, like, you know, one of the common criticisms of, of Starmer Labour... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I like Mike Gapes with with Labour when Corbyn was in charge. He always called it Corbyn Labour because he didn't recognise that this was the real Labour Party. And, you know, I, you know, I stand on the shoulder of giants. I do not recognise Starmer Labour to be the Labour Party. (laughs) Uh, One of the common criticisms is that they don't stand for anything. Mm -hmm. I really think they do. I think they stand for endless war i think they stand for capitalism they stand for the repressive apparatus of the state like <laughs> they stand for a lot of things and it's all pretty terrible well you ask yeah me. i mean i i think you're right and do you, do you think the sort of the the commentariat who built up starmo in the same way that they built up 
all of the aforementioned people and, you know, Jess Phillips and a few others. Do you think, <laughs> do you, I mean, not that it really matters that much, I guess, the question's pretty academic, but do you think they refuse to admit that that's what this project is, or do you think they genuinely can't see it? Well, I mean, I think with a lot of the commentators, it is also what they want. Like John Rental, you know, he he likes Keir Starmer because he is uh, the man of the state and he's the man of capital. And that's what he believes in, as well as, uh, you know, the the revitalising powers of virgin blood. I think there's an element of sort of um, the commentariat sort of losing sight of their own level of influence in the sense that, if you look at shifts in UK politics in general, you had Blair, certainly, and after Blair was in charge, you very much had the commentary out pushing their, the idea that that's the way politicians should present themselves and that's what electable looks like. And party leaders for Labour and the Tories, essentially, and Lib Dems were, were tend to be evaluated on, like, how, how close to Blair do you come across in the way you come across on TV uh, as a success? And pushing that had some sort of influence, but they think they can still like evaluate with perfect accuracy, like who is effective and who isn't, and that they, they they've sort of lost track that they've they've actually they've just sort of built up this uh, this idea of Starmer as being that because they hated Corbyn so much they thought anyone looked like that in comparison, and what people are actually then seeing, even if it's like just the the 10 second zingers on the news from fucking PMQs. It's just this pedantic lawyer with a funny voice like this. And <laughs> they, so he's not what they claim he is. And well, yeah, that's if, exactly if, if he it. was, he's, he's actually saying nothing with his presentation anyway. He's not, he's not, he's not presenting what people want, you know, just as a little aside, because I find it funny, really. Um, <laughs> How have they managed to find, so, and, you know, and I say this as someone who, you know, as you know, uh, has a lot of time and still do have a lot of time for Jeremy Corbyn, but how have they managed to find someone who comes across worse on television than Jeremy Corbyn? Like, how have they done that? <laughs> um, like, there's there's a brilliant line in the Richard Seymour piece that I still refer to all the time about, you know, just how nuts everyone went over Brexit during 2019 where he just says Corbyn is the only sane person left, which is why he comes across so badly on television. Um, But, (laughs) like, you know, Corbyn not coming across particularly well on television, you know, at least he has the sort of, I think, considerable excuse of being like, so, Jeremy, tell us about what the Labour Party plans to do in this election. Well, I think that Britain has a substantive problem with inequality. And in order to address this, we need to do a number of things. A number of things, Jeremy. What, like rebuilding Auschwitz? Why do you want to rebuild Auschwitz, Jeremy? Why? (laughs) Um, And, you know, like most people wouldn't come across well in in that kind of environment. And, you know, Starmer doesn't even have that excuse. You know, he he combines, you know, Corbyn's sort of like, sort of tetchy, slightly sort of dithering awkwardness that just comes from you know not really wanting to be there um and in Corbyn's case quite rightly thinking the whole thing was a kind of charade that would only make viewers more stupid um you know Starmer has that but without that level of insight but also that sort of like oily slimy insincerity of David Cameron yeah um yeah and you know just like that's the worst of both worlds um and and to to find someone who is that much worse at legacy media, 
uh, whilst also alienating like everyone in the Corbyn team who was good at social media. Um, I mean, again, this is a slight digression, but, you know, we haven't really agreed on any sort of structure for this, so it's going to happen. Um, but like, the graphic design, right? Like, is it a joke? Is it a sort of basically? <laughs> is it is it the sort of equivalent of the the Labour HQ people in the twenty seventeen election doing deliberate sabotage, or are they just shit? Like, I I think there may be some some comrades still there in the graphic design department just doing their absolute worst. <laughs> I think they were actually trying to murder some uh, potential Starmer supporters who might be watching it the other day because it was uh, the most seizure-inducing fucking video I've ever seen. I actually, I don't get, I'm not prone to seizures, but I'm prone to migraines and I had to fucking like just spam the group DM I posted it in uh, just to get it out of my sight you know just it was like the most <laughs> the most horrendous fucking load of shit that i've ever seen and i feel sorry for any epileptic labor supporters who may have been watching but but all of this i think the i think the theme we're kind of circling around here is you know starmer's team his supporters the kind of political media infrastructure that they're trying to coalesce into a political project just having no idea how the modern sort of media political landscape really works and I think you know the what we've been talking about with how Starmer comes across on television and indeed on social media you know really really kind of speaks to that because you know with Tony Blair the media environment is four channels I think maybe five channels but like no one Watch Channel Five when it launched. Not four chan. Uh, not four chan. Sadly, 4chan. no. If only <laughs> Alistair Campbell like run posting misinformation on four chan. You, you, you know, aid Blair. You've got you've got four you've got four four main main TV channels. Um, you know who show a couple of you know maybe three or four each news bulletins a day. So you've got maybe like five headline news channels and so all you have to do is come across well for two minutes at a time really um and you know there's no there's no many-to-many -many network whereby people can deconstruct what you're saying so you know tony blair could go on you know bbc news at nine or ten or whatever or channel four news and sort of talk about modernizing things um and you know nobody would be on a forum saying look by modernize he means privatize etc etc there wouldn't be people kind of picking apart the language in <laughs> that kind of, right. well exactly yeah like very early adopts of the internet would have been doing that but you know most people wouldn't have, have seen that you know um yeah and True. i i just i just don't think this type of politics is able to survive a sort of 24-hour news environment whether it's 24-hour broadcast news or 24-hour discussion of, of news and politics online it just it's not capable of dealing with that according to owen jones on his latest i'm i'm actually citing owen jones not to argue with him at this point because he's been pretty critical of starmer recently uh he basically said that he's got it on good authority that some Labour MPs, including ones in the Shadow Cabinet, are asking whether Starmer's going to last for year. 
And it's like, when that time comes, who's going to be there for him? Because Corbyn had a movement when the entire media, who'd never been on his side in the first place, were like, okay, Jeremy, your time's up. He had, like, fucking thousands of people who were going to be out there having his back face. Well, they were at Parliament Square, you know. And, 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 you know, Labour, people on the Labour right tend to have one use for a back, and it's to plunge a knife into it. <laughs> well, they're just addicted to it, aren't they? Um, and everyone was saying, uh, you know, I think, think Tom, Tom Williams from the New Socialist was particularly strong on this, just saying, you know, if Starmer doesn't face down the Labour right, they will do for him. And it looks like that's going to be the case. Yeah, you know, I imagine Owen Jones, like, isn't just talking out of his ass. He's heard that from, you know, Ed Miliband or something. Well, I mean, you know, another, another thing that the Labour, the sort of the Starmer backers don't understand about the modern media is that, you know, there are a handful of prominent left commentators now with a big audience on Twitter, and I'm thinking particularly of Owen Jones and like Aaron Bassani, who are close to the left of the party, and, you know, who the left of the party can leak things to in the same way that the right of the party leak to their journalists. Yeah. Um, and, you know, linked into a wider in- media, uh, sort of media and social media infrastructure can actually do them a lot more damage. And, you know, because they don't think the left are legitimate, they don't think we can do anything. And it's like, you know, the left aren't going away. And if you go out of your way to alienate the left, in this way you know we can actually do them not loads of damage but enough to substantively sort of hobble the projects i think yeah and also the times and so on still support the conservative party yeah and they also support starmer's efforts to crush the left within the labor party but they're not gonna say no if like gabriel pogren gets a juicy scoop about something that starmer's done and i'm pretty sure He's authored a few embarrassing stories for Starmer, as he did for Corbyn. You know, we're talking about this this issue of getting the left on side or keeping the left on side and the tactics of that. And, you know, I think comparisons to the US, uh, obviously, you know, the, the issue with making comparisons to the US is the difference in party structures. You know, you don't have you don't have a party leader, really, between between elections. I mean, you have, you know, the head of the um dnc or the um the gop but you don't really have a kind of a a committed party leader in the same way between elections um so there wasn't the need for the whole of the democrat party and the american press to spend the four years between 2016 and 2020 just kind of relentlessly attacking bernie sanders because you know they could just kind of uh make sure that sanders didn't win the primaries uh so in a way the sort of the stakes to stop the left are actually a lot lower and you know once they they saw bernie sanders coming a very long way off in 2020 and it was always fairly obvious you know when you saw the the early primary results where bernie sanders was winning he wasn't winning by very much and you like we can very easily persuade a couple of people of their more kind of centrist candidates to pull out and then you know they'll have a majority um against sanders you couldn't really see where he was going to pick up many extra votes from um so i think that has made it a bit easier for sort of joe biden to to bring the left along with him and i think obviously you know the other thing is that 
Trump was such a kind of cartoonist supervillain that, you know, it is a little bit more more clear cut. I mean, you know, there were there were attempts to sort of build up Johnson as a sort of British Trump, which I always thought were a bit misguided, really. And I always thought that Corbyn and Labour were much better off saying, look, no, he's just like another like Bullingdon Tory. Um, yeah. But, you know, the point I'm making here is that Biden managed to bring the left along in his coalition. And just as, you know, Starmer has been even worse than my very low expectations of him, uh, both on his terms and on mine, um, Biden has probably been better, I think. I mean, there's still plenty of problems with it, and I think there's going to be more problems with it. But, you know, I thought that they might not do the stimulus checks at all. I thought they would, like, mm. completely sideline people like Sanders um, and AOC. Um you know, I thought we'd see something quite similar to what Sam had been doing here. And actually, I think they have realised that they do have to listen to the left a bit more. Um, do you think that's going to have any effect on Starmer, especially if the, the local elections go as badly as they might? No. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> no, me neither, I have to say. I, I think but, he's yeah. kind of committed to this. And I think um, yeah. it would be such a, a climb down to, to start openly putting feelers out to the left. One, very few of us would trust him, even if he went quite substantially mm. out of his way to do so. Because obviously he, he reached out to the left in his campaign, fooled quite a lot of people, and then like basically drew a line under all his pledges and, and all that. Like, so quickly and so dramatically that um, who, who's going to trust him again? Um, and I think also in, in terms of where the desire to crush the left is, is coming from and then to take the particular direction they're doing, the people that are aligning against him now but that had been sort of backing him and nudging him along are exactly the same people who not only did for, for Corbyn, the left leader, but, but for, for Ed Miliband and, and for Gordon Brown but before him for the most part. like um, They are committed wreckers that, that do not understand party uh, unity and alliance building, even in the quite cynical sense that many in the, the Democrat establishment do. Yeah, well, I mean, whilst I said earlier that I do think he has a project, he does stand for something, something I profoundly disagree with, I just, you know, I can see very much how people can't trust him. And were he pivot to the left, it would be incredibly unconvincing. Because earlier on I saw a video, and you know, I can't fucking stand to listen to this man's voice. Like, I <laughs> really just, I honestly have not seen probably the vast majority of the major interviews that he's done. I just catch up with what he said. But Jack, you know? we focus group the voice with a number of local middle <laughs> managers, and they all agree that it projected a sense of real integrity and authority and unity. I don't understand how you could not trust a man who talks so much out of the side of his mouth. It's well in more ways than one. It's it's such it's such an Alan Partridge. Well, what what I realised yesterday just... was that the the Steve Coogan character from the day to day, who's like the the swimming pool attendant. <laughs> yes, I was thinking exactly that. I, today. I, I realised yeah. yesterday that that the, not only is it the, the same general sort of um, aura that Keir Starmer now everyone hates him projects whenever he appears, but the voice specifically is quite similar as well. You can almost imagine him being in like in 2013 
no left candidates were selected. In 2014, no left candidates were selected. In 2015, something went wrong. In 2016, <laughs> just like it's the same fucking. I was thinking exactly this. Aura. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, Steve Coogan's least interesting character. <laughs> yes. Not not the swimming instructor. I'm sure he's great. Um, but. Yeah, so because of this, uh, I have not seen all too many clips of Starmer interviewed, and sometimes I'll catch up with them months later. Like, I saw this one on Navarra, I think. They clipped Keir Starmer saying when he was running for leader, well, the uh, the left policy... Was the the uh, direction that we took... First in twenty seven, from twenty fifteen to seventeen, and then from twenty seventeen to nineteen, where we we went in a, a direction of more radical, transformative policies, was the right one. I, and I just don't. How can you square that with the 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 posture of the party now? Where I was just thinking of the sad saga of Alex Sobel. That one of the soft lefts, possibly the soft lefts only MP. I don't know. I don't know if any other MPs actually uh, bother, of, you know, doing anything with open. Yeah, he, Labour, he's the one that's he, sort of where it's a two-way thing, where he sort of reaches out and encourages their support rather than them just begging for a job in their office. You know, he has acknowledged their existence. Yes. It, that is huge. And anyway, so so Alex Sobel, the only soft left MP. Um, <laughs> is obviously on the hard left of Keir Starmer's uh, gutted of the left shadow cabinet. So, um, like, he was quoted as saying on a podcast recently that when he entered Parliament in 2017, so not anymore, he thought that business was the enemy in terms of combating climate change. And he explained to these people on this, I think, climate change podcast, possibly, um, about this pro-climate change podcast owned by big business. Um, He basically said, well, I don't agree with that anymore. It's all hands on deck because the crisis is so immediate. It's about government working with business, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, Ed Miliband when he was leader type rhetoric. And then um, this was like reported by The Sun. It was like, uh, top Starmer minister says big business, the enemy. And then... um, Again, I gotta find the quote. It's Mike Gates because... writing for the Sun now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to do some. I'm surprised he isn't but... actually. I could really see that. Yeah. Mike, Ga- Mike Gates yeah, is financing that... a voyage to the Sun to explore <laughs> it. <laughs> well, yeah, he has long uh, yearned to block out the Sun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this has been his great ambition. Uh, such a grovelling one, wasn't it? It's it was absolutely bleak. abject, wasn't it? So Just, bleak. You know, really excruciating. So, the sun went big with Alex Sobel criticises capitalism mildly. Or se- Sorry, Alex Sobel says, in the past he was critical of capitalism, but he no longer is. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, 
Keir Starmer was asked about this in an interview later on, and he said, Under my leadership, I've been very, very clear that the Labour Party is pro-business. We're, we're more than pro-business. <laughs> we want a partnership with business. We want to fuck business. Uh, he, he, okay, maybe the last... I was about to ask if that was an exact quote, but yeah. He actually said, intercourse. <laughs> he added... Alex Sobel knows what he said was wrong. He has apologised. Sorry, went gapes there for a second. He has apologised. Uh, uh, just my voice cracking. He has apologised. He's apologised to me. <laughs> the Labour Party. The Labour Party, under my leadership, is very clearly pro-business. We want a partnership with business. As I said, we want to fuck business and alex sobel understands that <laughs> so i mean just on so many levels like what a terrible man just like is <laughs> is like first of all and alex sobel understands that just like such a you know a statesman like flourish at the end of a sentence like just clarifying and my subordinate who i will name and shame once again understands what he said was wrong it's, it's like an inverse of the great thing diane abbott's doing now that she's just kind of completely unchained i think post like you know with the um the obvious burying of the ford report i think diane is just like oh, fuck this um so i love it when diane throws shade at people on twitter but always just like puts a photo of them in the tweet <laughs> yeah oh it's just like the shittiest low res yeah. photo as well it's so funny <laughs> absolutely brilliant i don't know whether she knows it's kind of funny or not but um it is um yeah no i i i assume it's just like she's in her 60s and, <laughs> you know, but but it's still fun yeah. like good, good on her she's cool she's a you know Thank God there's some people uh, of that generation like Diane, Jeremy, and, and the greats of, of our politics. But anyway, um, Alex Sobel, probably, you know, not going to go down. Although I thought, I assume this guy, because he like hangs out with open labor all day, was like in his 20s or something, but he's like 40 something. <laughs> uh, but he's just like 40 something and on the soft left. Imagine that. Anyway, he. Um, <laughs> That's like yeah, three Nandy stands combined man that's incredible you get the sense that when he's an elderly man in 20 years time he's going he's going to like not be a oh, sobel the great like rebel of the, you know the, the guy who stood true to his principles and didn't he never apologized for saying that he at one point was critical of capitalism but he no longer is but the funny thing is that, it, like, Starmer, uh, he, he, he felt the need to say, he has apologised. He's apologised to me. And it was briefed then that, um, so, uh, according to Labour sources, Sobel had not been forced to apologise. <laughs> but had voluntarily said sorry for the embarrassment caused. Uh, but I don't know, Starmer seemed to make, think that he'd done something wrong, said something wrong, and apologised for the substance of what he was saying. Like, you know, he knows what he said was wrong. Why would Starmer say that if it was just about the embarrassment? Uh, so I'm not sure I fully buy that. But then I also do think that someone on the soft left probably would 
be so cringing <laughs> and cowardly as to call up Keir Starmer to embarrass to apologize for saying something that was actually pretty melty to start and not with. not even about like a specific person or individual in a way that might be actionable just about the sort of the concept of business yeah. it's pathetic it's absolutely <laughs> I'm now com- I'm now completely uncritical of capitalism so it's fine I mean there's the um, <laughs> you know they they talk about this on trash future a lot like the the Matt Hancock thing when he ran for the Tory leader, and he's like, well, Boris Johnson says fuck business, but I say no, fuck fuck business. <laughs> um, and it's, it's that's God. the territory. I mean, you know, are, are they just Cameronite conservatives now? Yeah, no, they 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 took I they took fuck business way too yeah. seriously, uh, these guys. I mean, like... The, the 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 funny thing is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that is bullshit and Starmer literally did like fucking puce faced just demand that his subordinates force start uh, force Sobel into personally calling him to apologize. <laughs> like Sorry. Do you reckon Starmer looked like he was about to burst into tears at the time? He always does. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. That's the because that was kind of like what he said about Corbyn's statement about uh, mm. the EHRC is like he was ba- he basically said in as many in as many words like it made me look bad like I was, I was so angry with Jeremy for undermining my response and I mean yeah obviously like, any leader is going to be sort of uh, angry with uh, somebody under them who they perceive to have like gone off script but he really seems to like take personal affront to uh, somebody kind of like uh, being like out of their lane. Well, a lot of what came out about the the Rebecca Long Bailey sacking kind of ties in with that as well, wasn't it? Because supposedly what got him to sack her rather than just have a stern word was like, oh, she didn't want to delete the tweet. She wanted to clarify why she didn't endorse this particular part of it and why that part of it was bad. And and there was this sort of back and forth between the officers and and he he sort of sacked her in the end anyway, you know? So he seems like hugely yeah. sort of controlling on this sort of thing and, and very much like micromanaging what anyone with any position says on any topic. Well, can we return to the, the thing I made earlier? I made it. A... Apart from Rachel Reeves, who can talk <laughs> for hours about anything <laughs> with anyone else's brief. Well, I made a sort of like crude jibe about Charlotte Nichols being on the right. Of yeah, the can, can we make more there. crude jibes on it along those lines? Like. <laughs> well, because I think that in in every meaningful sense, she is on the right of the party now, and it is. I have never like in any sort of like profession, scene, you know, movement that I've followed and looked into. I have never seen like as drastic a selling yeah. out, like a complete and utter like repudiation of what somebody previously professed to yeah. stand for, like in politics, in music, in anything. Um, and 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 I and the Rebecca Long Bailey thing made me think of this because what's the explanation for uh how Charlotte Nichols could retain her job after causing uh you know probably more quote unquote embarrassment you'd hope more quote unquote embarrassment for Starmer than Alex Sobel did with his yeah. remarks um but Rebecca Long Bailey is just like at, just turfed out unilaterally i mean like those leaflets that um Charlotte Nichols posted herself holding 
uh, were like repugnant. And she said in her second apology <laughs> that um, that 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 oh, this is against my values and against Labour values. Well, it's not. There's a long history of the Labour Party, especially the right of the Labour Party, and especially the Labour Party at a local level doing this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, like. It, it, it's just kind of like this is what happens when you just you trust the political wisdom of like these shithead labor right councillors. Yeah, and people you lo- people looked into the um, the, the councillors she was campaigning with, and they were all like hardcore saving labor people and just like hard right reactionaries. And it's like you throw your lot in with these people and you 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 kind of defer to them, and like you know they 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 do this shit this is what they're about i mean like corbyn's ascension to the labor leadership basically forced you know the kind of nexus of the labor right and its you know sort of associated media to try and convince the public that you know the most dedicated and devoted anti-racist of his kind of generation at least in westminster was actually the kind of racist and that they were the kind of the good guys um, and in order to yeah. convince the public of that, they've had to kind of convince themselves of it. And um, you're seeing that everywhere at the moment, whether it's in that like ludicrous kind of government report where like the government, with the help of Spike, um, investigated themselves and found that they weren't racist. Or, you know, this, this <laughs> stuff we're talking about now where, you know, the the line of the Labour Party that runs through, you know, various like anti-immigrant acts in the 60s and it runs through, you know, the Phil Wallace campaign and the sort of, you know, disgustingly Islamophobic uh, overtones of the sort of new Labour response to the war on terror, you know, both in domestic legislation and foreign policy, uh, that they are they are the kind of real anti-racist and that nothing they can do can be can be racist. And, you know, you, yeah. you get this kind of like, you know, so much of British politics at the moment is basically up is down, left is right. Um, and that's as true there as anywhere else. And, and so I was going to say that why... I think Rebecca Long Bailey got sacked and that Charlotte Nichols didn't for these anti-Ziganist leaflets um, was that essentially she's willing to, like, pretend that the racist aberration of the Labour Party was Jeremy Corbyn, that, um, you know, that Tom Newton Dunn is an acceptable person to have an interview with, but the Canary isn't. That's not issuing any comment on the Canary. Uh, you, you know, like, regardless of what you think of that, I actually think the Sun has done a lot more harm. You know, <laughs> just just putting that out there as a socialist, I think the Sun is probably ultimately worse than the Canary. But, um, you know, and uh, the, the Labour values, uh, you know, have always been like against um against racism and that that corbyn was the aberration and that basically if you if you toe the line and are prepared to sort of go along with this idea then you get to keep your job if starmer sees you as somebody who is prepared to sacrifice all your principles to abstain on like the spy cops bill You've won his trust, I think. I mean, yeah, and it's, you know, that kind of leads me on to to my feeling, because I, I think this project is dead in the water. I think it's done. Uh, and I think it's done for ultimately a very simple reason that goes back to the leadership campaign but runs through the whole of the last year, which is just the incredibly fucking simple 
people don't like being lied to. And I think it's as simple as that. Um, because, you know, I, I am out of the party now. I'm not going to vote for them. I'm certainly not going to campaign for them. And I am, like, furious about all of this. Um, but, you know, I was coming from a position of, you know, canvassing twice a week during the election campaign, you know, writing, like, regular articles in support, um, you know, doing that, like, culture for labour letter, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the position I've come to. So where the hell are you if you weren't, like, particularly committed to voting Labour in the first place? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Like, I mean, someone posted a hilarious picture of Labour canvases the other day, and it was literally just, like, bald old men. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. <laughs> and someone else posted a picture of like Labour canvases in the same area, uh, like ger- at the 2019 general election, where uh, just to remind you, we lost miserably, uh, but we still had like this huge pack of like diverse people of like all ages, all genders, and races. You know, like <laughs> it's just like... now we've just got Falcon Malteser and... times a few hundreds across the whole country. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, think times a few. Guy, the guy with a bucket yeah. of tea. No, across the whole country. Yeah, yeah, poss- possibly. Um, I mean, yeah, being generous. Like, lots of men who look exactly like both Ian Murray and Neil Corey. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like... Th- no, but, but you have to bear in mind that the Labour Party is now controlled by, like, people who think that is actively preferable to, like, a vibrant movement of, full of young left-wingers. Like, they re- they genuinely prefer this politics. They genuinely prefer um, a, a Labour Party that isn't going to challenge the establishment. They genuinely prefer Lisa Nandy talking about we're going to, like, realign Labour on the world stage in accordance with our shared values. They genuinely like that stuff and prefer it to, like, anti-establishment or left populist or just left-wing rhetoric. I mean, I keep going back to this, but do they genuinely not see Change UK? Did that just not happen? <laughs> they were like, well, what that lacked was, like, the party infrastructure. Well, was it actually revealed to be this sort of Andy Kaufman-style, like, massive, immersive practical joke, and I just didn't get the memo? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just decided it, it didn't happen. Um, probably uh, about a fortnight before the European elections that they tanked in. <laughs> it was just very much, like, not work, not even going to have qualified uh, wrecking success. Uh, let's just pretend it never happened. We're not really so, losing much talent in terms of the MPs, you know? So what do, what do we think about the possibility of left challenges to them then? And, you know, specifically, what do you guys make of the Northern Independence Party? I mean, my feeling at the moment is that I'm not, you know, really, really sure about framing something around an independence mm. movement and Geraint being no. in, in Scotland. You might have opinions on this. Um, but it pisses off all the worst people in Britain. Um, and yeah. and their meme game is really good. I'm definitely well, a critical support sort that, of uh, level, yeah. What I'll say is that, that Thelma Walker is a good mm. socialist and a committed public servant, mm. and uh, Paul Williams is an odious Blairite Saudi shill cunt. <laughs> yes. I mean, also, he was a doctor and shit, so I guess also a public servant, but fuck him, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's a bad doctor, which is why he's in politics <laughs> now. He, suck, he sucks as a doctor, he's the worst doctor ever. Went into Ooh, politics because he was about sad. to get struck off for some sort of MILF-related incident, I'm sure. 
<laughs> yes, weird milf obsessed. Well, man. I mean, I'm, I'm going into this podcast being like, we have to be a little bit careful what we say because you know, Keir Starmer, I'm sure, is like particularly litigious, um, given his uh, <laughs> he's his got background. his Israeli spy listening. Oh God, to yeah, fucking hell. Fuck. Um, <laughs> but um, but but Geraint, like, you know, what's I want to hear a little bit more from you about what you think about the the NIP. <laughs> is this like a good project? Is it something? that we should be kind of interested in or supportive of. Yeah, what's what's your take on it? I mean, I, I think it's fairly inevitable that there was going to be some sort of northern independence movement at some point, and we should probably be glad that it's being led from the left at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a, in, in a wider context where Scottish independence just a couple of months ago was, was polling the highest it ever has, and, and these local elections up here are going to basically be... You know, between the SNP, the Scottish Greens to their left, and the the Alba Party as sort of the various crank fringes of that movement, between them they're going to hoover up a large percentage of the vote. You've got uh, Welsh independence growing in uh, popularity. You've got some uh, more niche independence movements like uh, like maybe in Kerno, the, the Cornish independence movement that have well, been around. Well, Jack and I time. have the East Surrey Revolutionary Soviet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just talking with Max Shanley about that last <laughs> night. I think he's in. Cool. We we agreed though that Kia can't. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. No if, as Owen Jones has speculated, he's gone within the year. <laughs> uh, we we're not going to let him into our revolutionary. Quite year. right. We're not going to let a counter revolutionary such as himself in. I think generally, in, in terms of like independence movements and that sort of thing, there is going to be uh, for a long time. There's there's going to be a lot of discourse in Britain about various breakups of its constituent parts. And the north-south divide is is, is going to be touched on in that, mm. so it probably is a good thing if the arguments being made around that are broadly from the left, and then we're talking about uh, what's best. You know, is northern independence good or bad for like achieving better um, left-wing policy outcomes for people? But um, at the moment, they're just in a really good place to to piss off Labour and the the centrist establishment. Um, I mean the the the, the, the are you twenty points ahead some meme that they put out a while ago was a genuine work of art. I mean it yes. really was extraordinary. Like the image of Starmer, you know, like his face all kind of screwed up in disappointment with his lawyer's wig on. The uh, the t shirt with the uh, the Che Guevara with the Mickey Mouse ears. The uh, the Union Jack placed over the EU flag, placed over the Labour flag. Um, <laughs> just everything was it was it was it was a genuinely and they yeah. they put out a very good. Good Simpsons meme today, uh, where sort of Starbucks saying like, "What are you going to do? Get your little socialist friends and get them to join your stupid little socialist club." I'd like to see that. And then like, you know, Bart gets everyone into his treehouse, and Starbucks like, "Well, you certainly showed me." Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you know, like, do do we think the NIP is trying to have a similar effect on Labour as like UKIP had on the Tories? You know, maybe they don't expect to win any seats, but might just you know force their hand to the left a bit i imagine i mean like uh you know you know how gavin barwell the tory uh, former tory mp looks like cartoon head from id yeah and like, i i canvassed to get him out mouse yeah. mask glued glued to his head yeah well i'm pretty sure one of them was one of the northern independence party people was on owen jones's 
YouTube with a literal mouse mask of the other day or something. Um, but anyway, yeah, real rock in the cartoon head. Look, or maybe it was just like a, a Gavin Barwell mask that he purchased <laughs> in uh, a fancy dress shop because that guy, you know, a true villain. Uh, one, one of one of the great villains up there with uh, with 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 Ren Tool uh, and Fam- uh, Phantom Danakt. The thing about the Northern Independence Party, I think, is I don't necessarily know if they're a viable political movement, but I would vote for them if I was in that constituency. Yes. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, like, fuck, fuck what Labour is doing, especially in that constituency. Just rig the selection for this, like, absolute, like... Basically, oh, like, I, levels know, of being this pissed world. off at Labour at different points in time. You might vote for them with your nose held. You might decide mm. not to vote for them to leave the party, which is a level most of us have been at for, for quite a long time, uh, around that level. You might actively encourage people not to vote for them, which is a level I'm at. But if there's an option to just absolutely go in two-footed on the Labour Party and vote for uh, a candidate almost... Uh, laser focused in 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 sort of design and campaign to, to piss off the Labour Party specifically then then you take that chance and that's why I would vote for them if I was in that constituency weirdly I've been I've been thinking a lot lately back to my second year at university in 2001 to 2 when I lived in a really big house share and amongst my housemates firstly were someone from uh, East Surrey actually from Red Hill uh, the town I was born in with the surname oh, Starmer who was studying law um, who had appalling politics, especially on uh, Jewish issues, shall we say, that I think if they were to come from someone on the left of Labour would result in like an immediate suspension uh, and expulsion. Uh, I won't say any more than that. But then one of my other houses... But they get promoted in the shadow. Well, they probably would, yeah. Um, because, yeah, that's where his politics were. Um, that's a blazing rousing, Jesus Christ. Um and then another one was a, was a woman from Hartlepool who was insanely right wing. I mean, you know, to the point of kind of admiring Mussolini. I mean, like, you know, more or less fascist. Um, but she was always going on about how much she and everyone in Hartlepool despised the Labour Party. And if Peter Mandelson was your MP, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, just like parachuted. It's crazy that he was actually an MP at some point because like the House of Lords really does seem to be like the perfect place for him he just gets to sort of like swoop around parliament that's like mm. this malevolent figure just plotting behind but, the scenes you know, that, plotting and conniving that year the um there were sort of local and mayoral elections and it was that that year that the people of Hartlepool voted for their football mascot uh <laughs> called hangus the monkey, monkey yeah. uh to be their mayor on the on the platform of like just giving out free bananas to children um, because again, you know, they <laughs> would, they would, well, exactly, and you know, they would rather do that than vote Labour. And you know, again, at that point, who could blame them? Who could blame them now, really? And I mean, I think with the with the NIP standing in Hartlepool, I think the kind of calculation is like, well, it doesn't really make any difference if the Tories have a majority of like eighty or eighty-two. Um, <laughs> and Labour at this point, you know, the local elections and particularly this by-election is a relatively cost-free opportunity to kick them up the arse, right? I mean, I'm not voting for them. Fuck that. Uh, I mean, I, I've, no, I've, no, I've just moved not. and I live in Keir Starmer's constituency now. And it's absolutely no <laughs> fucking way I am endorsing him with any of my, you know, electoral choices. Fuck off. Yeah, genuinely. Like, 
no so, way. So, I mean, this has basically turned into me just, like, interviewing you guys. But, like, um, you know, next next month on Sweet 212. But, um, I mean, there's there's one, one more kind of serious question I want to ask here. Is, like, I was listening to Trash Future the other day, and Riley was saying that, you know, there's a famous Margaret Thatcher line about Tony Blair being her, like, greatest achievement. And he said that um, it may well be that Keir Starmer is, turns out to be Nigel Farage's greatest achievement. Um, do we think that's fair? What, because he's like a product of Brexit? Yeah, and of, you know, UKIP kind of gnawing into a lot of the Labour vote in a lot of its, you know, kind of traditional heartlands and then handing it to the Tories. I think he's almost uniquely badly placed to sort of counteract that. I think pretty much every other... <laughs> potential Labour leader of the left, centre or right of the party could have at least made a better effort at being like, hey, let's let's win back some sort of disaffected uh, people who voted for Brexit, you know? Um, yeah. That's something I was concerned about even when I thought he'd be less shit as a leader in the sense that he was, was always going to be easy to portray as a sort of out-of-touch London top lawyer, uh, Remain supporter guy. But um, he's not even really tried, has he, to, to sort of counteract that? Well, there's that. been a lot of flag shagging, which is kind of why I asked the question. Yeah, but it's... Yeah, I mean, he his polling is just, like, through the fucking floor with uh, these uh, with people in the so-called red wall seats. Uh, in fact, the Daily Mail reported yesterday, new blow for Keir Starmer, as 60% of Labour Party members believe should campaign to rejoin EU. <laughs> so I don't know like the veracity of that particular poll, but um, if that's the party that he's got to work with, then despite his, I think, quite reasonable pro-Brexit stance, he's he's going to have his work cut out winning back those seats. Is the Labour coalition salvageable, do you think? You know, the kind of coalition that Corbyn just about managed to keep together for the 2017 election. I mean, I think it was pretty touch and go, but he was able to do it. I think I think the anti-Corbynites have killed it. I think um, af- after they saw that Jeremy Corbyn was in fact quite electable and did look like a prime minister in waiting, they sabotaged him harder than ever. Uh, I think that the kind of like uh, the implicit trust between the component parts of the Labour voter coalition has broken down. I I I I really think that like um, it's unreasonable to uh, tell people on the left that they have to get behind the Labour Party as the lesser of two evils after the blasé attitude to replacing the Conservative government with a Labour one displayed by large sections of the centre-left during the Corbyn years. Yeah, I think something's ruptured. Yeah, I mean, that's my feeling too. And that's that's even aside from the point about just, uh, you know, changing voter composition in seats and, like, the you know, just... But, you know, also... And that's even aside from the fact that, like, the, uh, the northern seats, you know... Uh, Many northern seats are now like highly precarious for the Labour Party if they even still have them, and Scotland just isn't coming back at all. And the only trend towards reversing 
the decline in any sense in Scotland was during the Corbyn years, during, you know, the peak of the Corbyn years in 2017. So, I mean, maybe Geraint has some more thoughts, but the party up in Scotland has now followed the National Party, uh, as in the, the, the National Labour Party, not the Scottish National Party, uh, ex- into a, uh, an explicitly centrist position under the new leadership of Anas Sarwar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just so stupid because, like, um, I mean, Richard Leonard is the most left-wing leader we've had in Scotland for quite a few years out of many leaders we've churned through. Uh, we were on, on a recent episode, we figured out Jim Murphy had only held the post for five months, for example, after years of build-up. <laughs> but, um, like, Richard Leonard wasn't able to successfully shift them away from that centrist perception and the, the centrist overall image. Um, he didn't have enough power around him in terms of, like, people high up in Scottish Labour. Uh, and if he's failed to make any sort of difference, a guy who's not even given any pushback against it essentially like Scottish Labour have basically been losing ground and losing elections for 16 years now roughly Um, Mm. dramatically so in the the last few years but the build up was there a long time before and the reaction at every single stage of that process has just been no we're fine the voters will come around to us we're fine let's let's not really change anything or let's slightly change the messaging uh, you know the the way we present the exact same policies and, and positions um they're, they're scared of anything radical and that with Anasawa being in, in charge it guarantees that's going to remain the same for uh, however many months or years he lasts um you know he obviously <laughs> he he he, he He'll make sure Leonard gets the blame when they when they tank these elections coming up next month. But like yeah. the next set of elections after that, he'll probably be done for, and then they'll just get some Jackie Bailey or someone in to do exactly the same after that. And maybe they'll last six months. Yeah, <laughs> and every time there'll be a slightly smaller party to to cling on to. But they explicitly said, didn't they, that like the reason we're getting rid of Richard Leonard is because our corporate backers don't like him, and like you can't yes. say that out yep. loud. You cannot tell people that. Well, I mean, they they yep. didn't like. I think did did Angela Rayner not sort of semi inadvertently leak that? Like the only good thing she's actually done since becoming deputy leader. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think she was, like, saying on this call, like, oh, well, you know, the decisions of the Scottish Labour Party is up to the Scottish Labour Party. And all these, Everyone like, else in there was like, hang on. Like, <laughs> Actually. No, it fucking isn't, mate. <laughs> I demand the number one say in Scottish politics of any person in, in Great Britain. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but, yeah, like, it, it's literally... Yeah, just like a Zoom call full of rich people <laughs> that, that led to Richard Leonard. Uh, I, and I mean, that reflects badly on him, but he like agreed to, to step down because of this. Like, I mean, I imagine it was pretty miserable for him in the job. Yeah. But still, like that seems like a kind of a real point of principle that no, those people shouldn't be allowed to win. Um, that leaves only Mark Drakeford in Wales as a left-wing leader of, of uh, a, you know, Great British Labour Party. And um, nobody I know on the left in Wales yeah. likes him. So I think we can conclude here that the Labour Party is just basically finished, right? I mean, I, I, think, I think it's done. It's fine. Right? 
it's just potentially going to be a slow death. You know, it's the speed of mm. it is what's up for debate here, really. Do you think that leaderships like Sarwars and even like Starmers are basically about managed decline? They're about the right people having overall control of the ashes. Yeah, you know, they they just want to basically. Well, if the Labour Party is gonna become an irrelevance, we're gonna have the controls while it happens, and we're gonna be able to squeeze whatever use we have out of it, which I don't think is getting into government. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. I'm always in two minds about this. I reckon maybe there's a handful of people that do think like that and understand that, but I think a lot of them genuinely just think, no, I'm the right guy with the right charisma to turn this ship mm. around, but without actually yeah. changing anything. But I, I mean, think you've also to, got, yeah. like, um, it's where it comes to just all these, like, basically terrifying, hyper-ambitious teenagers and young Politico types, you know. They look at politics in such a selfish and self-interested way that actually, yes, making sure we hoover up the the slowly declining number of paid jobs in and around the Scottish Labour Party is actually more important to them than the vote share of the Scottish Labour Party, the number of seats that the Scottish Labour Party win. Um, Well, yeah, exactly, because, like, it's, it's something for them to be part of. It's like this little world where they can all pretend, you know, the authentic values alignment is, like the same as i have a dream (laughs) (laughs) like that's like (laughs) you know it's something for 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 these like horrible deserved outcasts to 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 find purpose in uh this this it's a profession you know and so i think as long as the labor party exists as a profession certain people will be perfectly happy with it not existing as a viable electoral force, let alone some kind of social movement. Because, you know, if we're talking about a year of Starmer, he's binned off Labour's community organising mm. unit, for one thing. He's uh, completely disconnected the party from any kind of social movement that's happening. I mean, it's um, it's telling that it was Jeremy Corbyn and Zara Sultana at the Kill the Bill rally yesterday. I didn't see the leader of the Labour Party there. And I'm sure if he issued comment on it at all, it was mealy-mouthed equivocal shit <laughs> with lots of stuff about our brave boys in blue. Well, I think it's important to to talk about, well, not killing the bill, but maybe just kind of engaging the bill in, in some sort of rational debate. <laughs> Critical, uh, well, you know, uh, I think we need to constructively oppose the bill. Uh so we have to support the bill and uh try and uh not kill but uh, uh hurt a small amount of it uh, at the amendment process yeah I mean, like literally i think with starmer i guess i start to fall asleep when i start to impersonate i him, i mean so i'm i'm with you i can't actually watch him um and i the fugue state i watched the starts. i watched the navara thing this this week going over you know a year of his leadership and i just you know saw him on screen and sort of simultaneously felt like utterly indifferent and yet completely furious it's a very odd combination of emotions that he managed to inspire but somehow he manages to make yeah. me kind of utterly disengaged and yet burning with hatred for him it's just smugness isn't it it's the as was it on navarro no it was also on the owen jones thing owen pointed out that 
Starmer's attitude to leadership is so reminiscent of David Cameron mm. when asked why he should be prime minister, saying, because I think I'd be good at yeah. it. Like, it, he is just this odiously smug managerial type <laughs> who really thinks that he just possesses unique skills to manage other people and i find that to be just a scary mentality somebody who is interested in power for power's sake effectively so we've been talking for a while we've kind of concluded that the labor party is doomed due to a combination of kind of like blinkered stupidity a refusal to acknowledge the present circumstances careerism uh, and boosterism from a media that's like equally stupid uh, and we've concluded that we we all fucking hate Keir Starmer and we're right to because he's like an uncharismatic boring soulless joyless disingenuous cop loving prick um <laughs> you know I, I think all of that is is fair but we've had a year of this now and you know much as we all absolutely hate and despise centrism again entirely fairly and correctly one thing you can say about 21st century centrism is it's often incredibly funny. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So what, what's what been your, your like, favourite Starmer moment this year? What's, like, really actually, you know, even or especially if it's just, like, pure schadenfreude, like, what's made you laugh? He's not been as good for, like, specific moments of pure comedy than, like, the Owen Smith campaign, for example. Mm. Because they clearly just... learned from that, didn't yeah. they? He, he, he's more boring partially by design, which in, in the Owen Smith sense is probably good on his part. But... God, God, at least Owen Smith's terrible sense of humour was like a fucking personality yeah. trait. But what, what I do like is that we spent near enough five years like having everyone on the political centre uh, and centre-right uh, outlining in very clear and, and often absurd ways, like, this is what success will look like. This is exactly what will happen if we get uh, Keir Starmer or someone like him in, in charge of the Labour Party. Here are the measures of success. Here is why Corbyn being three points up in the polls right now is not good enough, and, and, and here's what will happen um, straight away, you know, almost straight away. And we've now had him in charge for a year and he's not 20 points ahead. He's he's tanking miserably. They've had so long to prepare for it. And um, I, this is again where the Change UK one holds up. They've spent so long talking about a new centrist party. They had no idea what they were actually going to do when they started one. They had so little idea what to do when they, they got like uh, one of the right sort in charge. To go 20 points ahead. They've not given the slightest thought to actually how to improve their polling uh, at all uh, on what they're going to do in, in terms of policy or what anyone outside of their own contact books thinks of him or them as a party I think I think my favourite thing comedically was his Desert Island Discs appearance <laughs> uh, because we've, we've been having lots of you know conversations online and you know there was sort of me and like Elvis Bonuello and a few other people very yeah. much of the opinion of like no he's going to focus with the fuck out of this and then yeah. you had yeah, like yeah. Um, Elvis uh, produced he predicted stories yeah and we had like you know sort of Owen Hathaway and Joe Kennedy both of whom are you know dear friends and comrades of mine so they're saying no you know like centrist dads they actually like you know sort of stereo lab and indie and post punk and stuff but you know he'll he'll choose lots of things that we like. 
Um, and then I, you know, so it was kind of trailed the day before and I was like, what's going to happen? And I woke up on the <laughs> Sunday morning and like Elvis Bunuelo had just posted something saying something like, Owen Hathaway, Joe Kennedy, your boys took one hell of a beating. The list of Keir Starmer, like Desert Island Discs, including the Storm, the Stormzy oh. song for Grenfell and replacing his previous choice for the Camden New Journal of Ode to Joy. The uh, the EU uh, <laughs> supranational anthem was uh, Three Lions by Skinner <laughs> Badir and the Lightning. Literally <laughs> just fighting and replace one flag with another, isn't it? Just you imagining know? <laughs> Keir Starmer just sitting on a desert island disc being like, yes, yes, I think it is coming home. Yes, yes, there have <laughs> been thought... 30 years of her. Yes. Um... <laughs> I thought that, what? oh no, oh, you can't say that there's been uh, a consistent 30 years of something. I believe when uh, Zara Sultana <laughs> said that there'd been uh, 30 continuous years of a kind of economic epoch, uh, Starmer supporters got very upset with her. But um, I thought it was actually pretty vile what Starmer said when he hmm. was talking about the bridge over troubled water sung by Stormzy thing. Um, he said... A reminder that for all the factional and party positions, <sighs> politics is about people, <sighs> and Grenfell brought a shudder to everybody. Fucking PR like... bullshit. Of all the things that you shouldn't depoliticise or say was depoliticised, mm. it's it's that, you know? We mentioned Gavin Barwell yeah. earlier. He sat on reports that, that could have prevented it. Like, he is a political figure. <laughs> it's the most. It's yeah. the most political thing. Yeah. Like, I can't think of, of any kind of more political thing that's happened in this country in the last kind of 10 years. The preventable death by fire and of low-income families and households. People like... burning to death in their homes because of gentrification. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm sure, like, the, the, the Tory MPs uh, were shuddering when they voted against better safety regulations. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. I mean, do you remember, like, I mean, you know, especially sort of after the EU referendum... The number of sort of not even sort of centrist parties that that kind of sprang up that happened a little bit later. I think that was more sort of twenty seventeen, but it's around about twenty sixteen, early twenty seventeen. There are all these sort of you know, I mean, I guess the best word for them is like initiatives uh, <laughs> to, to just you know to to deal with our you know divided politics and you know a particular particular <laughs> one called More United, which is just like a um... really you know, grammatically just shit. Was that the one that Dan Snow was involved in? I can't remember the specific It's details. tech, it's exciting, it's <laughs> young people, it's yeah. crowdsourcing. And, um... Yeah, that's where that came from, him promoting the yeah. United. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right, okay. Um... It, was, it was the one that would, like, endorse <laughs> candidates of all sorts of different parties. Yes, and yeah, it would that basically kind of be, thing. like, the Remainer Tories and all the worst cunts from every other party, basically. Pretty much. And it's just, you know, like their inability to conceive of politics as fucking competing interests. They just yeah. cannot do it. It's literally who's got the best pitch or if you've got a particularly uh, enlightened centrist, it's who's got the best pitch and isn't cartoonishly evil. You know, that's that's as sophisticated as it gets for these people. <laughs> yeah. Should we all do like a, you know, as it's as it's just for fun quick predictions of how this is going to pan out so maybe like a year and and you know predict up to a year and beyond if you want i don't think he's going to get toppled as leader because you know there was sort of constant talk of trying to topple ed miliband um and i don't 
I don't quite know what their leverage is going to be. I mean, if the local elections, I guess, are a complete catastrophe and they lose Hartlepool, then I think he'll be under a lot of pressure. But I I just think that there's two problems with a leadership challenge, which would which would come from the right. It wouldn't come from the left. And I think the two problems with the leadership challenge are the lack of an issue that they can leverage. Although, yeah, like I said, the local elections might give them that. And secondly, it's just the lack of a candidate and the lack of a candidate with a vision. I mean, the obvious candidate is Rachel Reeves. Um, but, you know, she she did this piece for the, the Bad NS a few weeks ago where she sort of laid out her vision. And it's very similar to Keir Starmer's pitch to to the membership, which is like, actually, we, you know, we need to be a bit more left wing and a bit more visionary. And like, no one is going to believe it. Um, mm. you know, I don't think anyone would have believed it coming from Rachel Reeves anyway, but certainly, you know, Starmer's leadership campaign for a lot of people is going to be very much like fool me once, shame on you. Um, yeah. So I don't think they're going to topple him. I mean, I do think, I think he might limp through to the election, actually. Um, and I think the manifesto they put out will be not a million, I think it'll be closer to the 2015 one, actually, and that it will sort of make a few kind of like faltering and quite embarrassed attempts to be a bit more kind of left wing on economic issues and more kind of socially conservative, I guess. Um, And it will convince nobody. um, And I think they'll get a worse result than they did in 2019. I think actually substantively worse result than in 2019. Um, is yeah. is kind of how I see it panning out. Um, you know, I can. They're polling worse than twenty nine already. Right yeah, now. and there's like you know at least yeah. two, if not three, years until the next election. And I just I don't see how they would turn that around. Mm. And I don't see how, you know, I I I mean I was very surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised in twenty seventeen by you know how quickly and how kind of beautifully Corbyn turned around. You know, incredibly bad polling over the course of that election campaign, but I just don't see Starmer doing that. I mean, I think he really has got like, <laughs> I think he really has got like what I call the Swinson effect, which is the more people, the more people see of him, the less they like. The Guardian were like, they printed the most, the Observer, sorry, a totally different publication. <laughs> they uh, obviously, uh, uh, on Saturday night, the Observer crew hijack the Guardian Twitter account and get a bit rowdy and post their mad Blairite takes. <laughs> but like last night, uh, they they posted the strangest headline that I've ever seen. This cannot be what Starmer actually said. It was like they someone had run his own just, mate, you know, his own coherent but completely lame and embarrassing phrase through yeah google translate and and it just butchered it but like the observer um one shadow minister said it was vital that the whole party got behind the leader ha Uh, rather than allowing a negative narrative to build up around him they said it's been a uniquely difficult year whereas i can't think of any political leader who has had a political uh, an easier ride ever um there is a danger with some people beginning to say he is some sort of 
Theresa May Mark II. That is really not the case. He is not only a powerful intellectual force, but he is incredibly down to earth and surprisingly funny. <laughs> no, no one has ever said that Keir Starmer is funny and capable of connecting with. Oh, you've, you've not seen that we... video of him in the like talking about his hotel on Valentine's Day, have you? Um... <laughs> What's the deal with uh, so, key cards to the hotel? So I went into the hotel room and there was someone else in the hotel room, and I said. I'm sorry, I booked this hotel room. And they said, they told me I booked this hotel room. And I said, no, no, I've got it here written down <laughs> on a piece of card. And they said, <laughs> and the people in the audience are just like, ha, 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 I'm uh, lightly chuckling to pretend to find this funny because I want neoliberalism to be unchallenged. Ha, 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 ha. And it still tapers ha, ha, off. I want, I want eternal war. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so that's my i don't know why i didn't do this quote in my starmer supporter voice but anyway they conclude we have to get him out there we have to get him out there and sell him more. uh which is uh yeah i mean i think if you are to believe what juliet said which i do uh getting him out there more is the last thing he wants anyway his quote the headline was rather keir starmer I'll take my mask off and show why I should be Prime Minister. <laughs> it's like, well, I hope you're not taking it off around people in indoors, you know? <laughs> but uh, he, what he actually said was, I'm, looking, I'm now looking forward to taking the mask off and opening the throttle. <laughs> I've instructed the party to be election ready for 2023. The next election... I've instructed the party! Like, shut the fuck <laughs> up. Like, you can instruct anyone. Ugh. I mean, it is amazing that people, like, actually want to want this guy's that he actually does manage to control people so well like this just utterly pathetic man like someone like charlotte nichols earlier is just like totally willing uh to toe the line just like the least intimidating figure so i'm uh, looking forward to taking the mask off and uh opening the throttle it's like oh wow wow imagine what would happen if you didn't have this guy's respect um but anyway yeah so he he's commanding he's instructed the party to be election ready for 2023 and uh yeah uh <laughs> they're running with the jobs 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 slogan <laughs> which i thought was actually just a sort of uh, postcard sent by the open labor people with a request to starmer's office that was mistakenly put out as par party propaganda yeah, like, I mean, I'm, the rest is just like, uh, Starmer, I'm boring. I'm just Starmer. I'm just boring. <laughs> Master satirist, Jack Framey. <laughs> I think that that impression gets to a greater truth of Keith Starmer <laughs> than my actual impression. But the thing is that like, everyone has got an impression of him. And I, I do think it's a genuine problem for him that it's incredible fun to take the piss out of the way he talks. We need to get like the um the I'm in your bins again character with the meat mask actually standing <laughs> against him in a by election if he, if if he makes it to a general election. We need to have him like dancing up on stage. <laughs> I'm twenty points ahead, you'll never catch me. But just like I'm I'm looking forward to taking the mask off and opening the throttle. Now that is 
just lame. Like, that, okay, I get what he's saying, just what an embarrassing bastard. But I'll take off my mask and show why I should be Prime Minister. Had he said that, that would be a bizarre thing to say. So, again, Observer, Blairite types existing in a hermetically sealed world, like an alien trying to understand how people, trying to convey how a human being who they've never interacted with might talk. But, um, yeah, I mean, just to, just to drag us back to the question I asked, like, you know, Jack and Geraint, like, what, what are your predictions for, like, the next year and maybe up to the next election? I think he might last about another year. Um, I, I'm not as convinced he's going to make it to a general election if we assume that that's going to uh, be uh, that that's going to be like 2024-ish. Um, I think the way the press have either turned on him or geared up to be turning on him, um, he can't survive like two, three more years of that potentially, um, particularly when there's... Um, Again, the the right wing of the party, the the proper wreckers are already briefing against him daily and, and sort of gearing up to get him out. They'll end up with someone like Lisa Nandy in charge. It'll still be awful, mm. but in slightly different ways. I agree, but he'll probably be gone before the next election. I talked a lot on our episode with the leftover lot about why I think political leaders are increasingly short-lived in this country. Yeah. Um you know, I'm not 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 literal life, <laughs> just uh, life as a a leader. Um, so I I I think and I hope that this situation is gonna become untenable because I do just think that this politics has nothing to offer to anyone, and Starmer and certain people, the soft left, open labor, all of these people, they created this grand con. That you can be on a part of the Labour Party other than the hard left and actually support socialist policies in practice. Like, you know, oh, you know, well, we'll just replace Corbyn with, with, with some some person who, you know, just, just doesn't have all that, like, baggage of being actually a socialist. It turns out that their, that their, little, their little hole that they had in the party doesn't really exist under Starmer <laughs> just like the, the the place for uh, you know for, for people on the soft left to like hash out their wonky ideas and stuff he doesn't want that no. at all it's just like vicious med- message discipline around a totally dull uninspiring reactionary message so um, yeah basically if people um, you know if the Labour Party is ever going to be um, a, a left-wing party again you've got to have a leader who's on the left <laughs> Like that's probably the, lo- the lesson to learn from like all the people who voted for Starmer is like well he's not left-wing but the party will be on the left like no, no, that doesn't not, not how it works so that uh, is maybe not so much a prediction but uh, a, a, a warning from history I think Starmerism, a warning from history. Yeah, but it'll it'll still not be learnt because like he's basically speedrunning Neil Kinnock at the moment. <laughs> 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, well, you know, maybe people will learn to be, like, a bit less cynical about other socialists, and they'll say, you know, uh, maybe uh, it's okay if at some point uh, a politician has opposed brutal imperialist wars and that's a price worth and them actually having uh, some kind of concern for human rights and viewing people from outside of britain as english is a price worth paying for the, these radical domestic policies that we claim to want that's that's what i hope that's the lesson i hope will be however made. we live in britain yeah. Fuck. Yes, yes, my, yes. My overarching prediction for all of this is that, like, the Labour right are going to continue to learn absolutely fucking nothing. Um, I often think back to a piece that I think Alex Andrews wrote when Corbyn, I think before Corbyn won in 2015, and it was about the Labour yeah. right. And it concluded by saying, they don't see how the world's changed since 2008. They barely seem to think the world's changed since 1997. And I think you could write that yeah. now after Corbyn, after Brexit after mm -hmm. covid and it would be mm. just as true now as it was then and that's not the most damning thing i can say about these pricks really yeah that's it that was the delusion like we can go back to something it's not corbynism but it's not blair not blairism either and it's like nah it's gonna <laughs> basically the the only politics that like has existed in the labor party up until corbynism was like some form of the new labor project and there just isn't anything for the party to go to other than that once you take away their their left-wing move that they could potentially do they've got one move left um they, they can't be like the old labor right anymore although they might might occasionally try in a so-called red wall seat but they can basically revert to the new labor playbook and that's what we're seeing it's like oh no they, they didn't really uh change or evolve in any kind of way during the Corbyn years. They are exactly the same people as they were when we unseated them in 2015. <laughs> so that's it. We're in the age of Chris Leslie. He might be out of politics, but his philosophy is more relevant than ever. Landlords everywhere. <laughs> you can breathe a sigh of relief, my friends. Well, that's, yeah, that's maybe... Maybe a good place to stop. That's cheery <laughs> note to end on. Yeah, yeah. landlords, yeah. spies, cops, Marine and the boys, like all of you, like you have got a friend in security. Well, the, the people, the people who won, ultimately, the people who've won British politics at this point are the nine angry men yelling at Jeremy Corbyn about why he won't nuke some idiot in Iran. Um, <laughs> it's their world, and we're all living on it now. And that's where Starmer is yeah. taking us, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, he is uh, unequivocally committed to the nuclear weapons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Labour is, uh, you know, you know how Labour actually stopped being pro-Trident during the Corbyn years? Oh, wait, they didn't. They were still <laughs> pro-nuclear weapons. They just had a leader who wasn't personally. Uh, well, now the party is unquestionably committed to trident to renewing it to expanding it blah 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 and so when they do try and get in these little uh gotchas at the government of like um why why 
uh, excuse me, uh, you want to, that's uh, just, uh, that's two more nuclear weapons out of a hundred than I'm comfortable And I've, I've looked into um, the nuclear weapons procedure manual and on page 47, section 2B, it clearly states that this is one too many nuclear weapons. I am comfortable with the existing quota of nuclear weapons. I could even be comfortable with a few more nuclear weapons, but I will not accept a number above that which was agreed in our recent focus group. Oh, God, I hate <laughs> it so much. You know. John, John Craig's typing up another glowing review one-handed. <laughs> There's no point them even coming in with like these piecemeal criticisms when they say that we that our support for the Trident nuclear deterrent is non-negotiable. <laughs> it's like okay, then so the Tories could like literally do anything and you'd still support it. Like they could they could like violate all international treaties pretty much. But hey, it's non-negotiable, just... so I guess Labour would have to just constructively. Ah, uh, we we it. can't persocify them quickly enough, can we? Um... No. No. Well, uh, let's just maybe end on, um, you know, a rumour that's been going around uh, for a little while now. Uh, I saw it via Twitter user Shrieking Tin Man, which is, um, but you may have heard it, you know, if you've been frequenting playgrounds of late. But, um, you know, I've I've heard that Keir Starmer... um, had his rib removed so that he could pass off himself. <laughs> Thank you for that one, Shrieking Tin Man. That's one of my favourite tweets. It's definitely true. If any, if any of our listeners haven't haven't seen that one, then uh, follow the good comrade there. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Juliet. It's been good to talk about Keith with you and what uh, what an awful travesty oh, this leadership God, just, is. Just I mean, yeah, dismal. I remember Uncle Owen Because the story is aimed at me But that was 1977 hate-mongering against the GRT community, uh, opposed to the values of the wing of the Labour Party that parades around in military uniforms, in military jets, that, uh, <laughs> that, that spreads fear-mongering, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and basically anti-Irish fear-mongering campaigns about the IRA in 
fucking 2021 <laughs> you know well yeah i mean it, it it's not particularly surprising to me that that wing of the party um might be uh kind of reactionary like look into a little figure called john mann for example but yeah i mean that's just a few things and also it's really funny that she called herself a benite on twitter recently because i yeah. kind of think that you have to be in favor of party democracy to be a benite <laughs> that was sort of like the hallmark of the whole thing um so that that that's that done it's it's cool you can be a you can still be a signpost and not a weather vane if you just spin really dramatically once that 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 still counts <laughs> <laughs>